From the headquarters of the United Nations Development Program, this is Nature for Development, the podcast about nature, people, and sustainability. I'm your host, Nina Kancheva. For this episode, we are joined by Gazalia Horella, who is an idealist with experience centered on the intersection of human rights and international politics, with a specific focus on the rights of indigenous peoples. He's a product of the indigenous Alifuru people, a South Maluku, an archipelago of 999 islands situated between Australia and the Philippines, belonging to the Pacific region. Since 2003, Gazali has successfully engaged with and was the principal author of numerous reports submitted to the United Nations bodies. He's also a trainer in a number of programs educating Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples on the rights of Indigenous peoples. He was a member of the Indigenous lobbying team for the high-level plenary meeting of the UN General Assembly to be known as the World Conference on Indigenous Peoples, held in New York City in September 2014. He chaired its roundtable discussion on UN system action for the implementation of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, addressed the General Assembly on the occasion of the 10th anniversary of the UNDRIP in 2017, and served as co-chair of and lead negotiator for the International Indigenous Peoples Forum on Climate Change in 2018. And you've been involved in UNFCCC negotiations since COP21. So I wanted to give you a very warm welcome. And I am eager to speak with you and hear how COP25 went from the perspective of indigenous peoples. To start, let's take a step back and travel in time to, COP to, to, to COP's past. Ghazali, could you tell us what were some of the major aspects of indigenous peoples negotiation strategy, some of the key advocacy pillars at the UNFCCC? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to always talk to you and uh, always yeah, explain a little bit about what's going on within uh, the negotiations, um, particularly at the UNFCCC. So for these peoples, um, I've been involved since COP in one, so I, don't, I couldn't t talk about what uh, the strategy was before that. But mostly it's about the right to participate in decision-making so that we um, can participate in the processes that affect us. And that's one of our pillars. The other pillar is, is that the, the Declaration of Rights of Peoples is respected uh, in all climate action. So that's also an, another, another pillar um, in terms of um, climate policies and climate action, as well as equity and equality between science and, and the knowledge of Indigenous peoples. Um, right now, what, what we're primarily facing is, is that states are looking at it towards science, towards um, climate action, towards finding, finding climate change, whereas the Indigenous peoples have millennia of knowledge, uh, millennia of ways and practices and, uh, and um, innovations that can contribute to climate action as well. So in short, those are the three main pillars that um, we've been utilizing uh, throughout the negotiations. Terrific. Great. Thank you so much. That's, that's really clear um, and concise. So could you share with us, Ghazali, some of the major milestones, achievements, and challenges that Indigenous peoples have achieved um, or still face throughout the COPs? Sure. Um, well, let's, let's start with the big one, COP21. Uh, Indigenous peoples have been, um, for those two weeks, have been well, leading up towards to a COP21. We've identified our priorities, what we wanted to see reflected in the, in the Paris Agreement. And it was, it was a challenge. It was a challenge to have uh, our rights respected uh, in, in all climate action. 
So when we were in COP21, where we were in Paris, it's, we had to fight to have human rights and the rights of peoples mentioned in the text. Uh, we wanted to have it in the operative. And eventually, um, when we had, the states went to the intergovernmental negotiation process, uh, the only reference that we had in terms of rights of these peoples uh, was uh, in the preamble of the Paris Agreement. Um, it was not perfect. It was not what we wanted. Um, we did get uh, some other references. Article 7 talks about these peoples and the knowledge. Um, paragraph 135 of the Paris Agreement uh, talks about the establishment of the local communities and these people's platform. Those were the things that came out of COP21 that we had to work with. So COP21 was in 2015 in, in Paris, and then we had to go to Marrakesh in 2016. And it was hard to, add, because we had, um, had to fight our way in to the, to the negotiations on the, the platform uh, on traditional knowledge. So when you talk about that the rights of Indian peoples referenced in the preamble, you would say that states would also acknowledge that we have the right to participate in all decision-making processes, which includes all the negotiations on the, um, the local communities and these people's platform. But we had to fight our way, our way in. We had to say, well, nothing about us without us. And that was when um, we had, until 2018, we were negotiating and trying to establish this platform, establish a facilitated working group, so that uh, this platform could function and could come alive. And our primary focus for this platform is to um, create a link, link between the local knowledge on the ground with the, the policies on the, on the international level. So that's just one of the challenges that we're facing on, as a, on a platform, which is in the, in the Paris Agreement. But also, um, what else? There are so many other processes out there that affect Indigenous peoples. Look at loss and damage. Look at the gender action plan. Uh, if you look at um, agriculture and Paris rule book, which is now being finalized, they all affect Indigenous peoples. And we all had to um, yeah, strategize and try to come up with some ways to get our voices in there and then also our positions in there. And the only thing that we request um, when it comes to these, 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 these uh, policies, like the Paris rule book, like um, the agriculture process uh, or the loss and damage is to have the rights of these peoples and human rights respected in all, in all this um, application. So that's from 2015 up until today, actually, that's something that we've been, we've been trying to fight towards, that we have a, a uh, voice in the negotiations that we have a permanent presence and that people are listening to us. And which requires also a lot of lobbying and also trying to tap into the goodwill of states that are willing to listen to us and willing to take on, on board our uh, priorities and our, and our asks. Wow, that's, that's uh, very helpful. Thank you so much. It really sounds like you have so many fronts in which to advocate. Can you explain to us a little bit about how indigenous peoples are organized in order to be able to achieve this advocacy at the COPs? Sure. Um, so the, the, the main thing that we have um, going for us within the UNFCCC is that we have our recognized constituency. Um, so uh, we are a constituency called the Indigenous Peoples Organizations. 
So every day at COP, we meet uh, every morning, we have a caucus meeting. Um, we have two co-chairs and they are trying to facilitate the, our advocacy efforts. So all the Indian peoples um, come in every morning at nine and we discuss the agenda of the day and discuss the priorities and the strategies. So that's a broad, broad discussion that we have. And then we break out into smaller groups. For example, at COP25, we had a smaller working group on Article 6. Um, so we, after the, the caucus meeting in the morning, we went into a meeting, a smaller meeting of experts uh, in, on, specific, on specific issues. And we stay in touch throughout the day, um, mostly through WhatsApp or Messenger or, or email, and keeping ourselves apprised of any, any developments or any meetings that, we, that we're setting up or the side events. Side events are also good uh, ways of trying to get our message out. Uh, we, have, we participate in side events in the negotiations area, which is called the Blue Zone. And we also organize our own side events in our own pavilion, uh, in the green zone, right, which is open to the public. And we have our own Indigenous People Pavilion. And so in, at every COP, we have a full schedule every day uh, on different topics that are related to Indigenous peoples and climate change. So you have two tracks. One is the lobbying track. And two, the, the second track is the, the side events. And a third track is also communication of what we, what we do. Um, so trying to um, get some outreach through social media, internet, and mainstream media as well. So those are the two, three things that, that we try to optimize and utilize when we are at, uh, at COPS. Great. Ghazali, can you also speak a little bit to the International Indigenous Peoples Forum on Climate Change and how that body relates to uh, the caucus and to participation in the COPS and maybe even to the platform? You mentioned it before, but just put it in context. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Um, so basically, the Indigenous, Indigenous, sorry, the International Indigenous Peoples Forum on Climate Change is the Indigenous Caucus. Um, so uh, we are, the, the caucus is what we are used to as Indigenous peoples within the New York, uh, New York uh, meetings, like the Prim Forum or at the Expert Mechanism in Geneva, we call ourselves a caucus, but in the context of UNCCC, we call ourselves the International Indigenous Peoples Forum on Climate Change. So those two are the, are the same. Um, the relationship between the UNCCC and, and uh, the Indigenous Peoples Caucus or the IIPFCC is mostly through the vocal points. We have two vocal points, one English speaking and one Spanish speaking, that are the linkage between the UNFCCC Secretariat and our caucus uh, uh, and the IIPFCC, so that we are informed by the UNFCCC Secretariat on what's going on and we can inform them or request them for any meeting rooms, et cetera, et cetera. The relationship between IIPFCC and the local communities and these people platform is different. The the Indigenous people's the local communities and people's platform is a range of activities um, on local, regional, and international level, trying to facilitate the um, the contributions of Indigenous peoples when it comes to climate action and climate and uh, climate policies. The the platform has its own facilitating body, which is called the Facilitated Working Group, and uh, which is unprecedented. Unprecedented. It has seven 
uh, indigenous representatives, so not experts, but representatives chosen by the seven indigenous regions and seven uh, representatives from some states. So these 14 people uh, will guide the, the implementation process of the, the, the platform. The relationship between this facilitated work group and the IFPFCC is, is that um, those members are chosen through the, the Inter International Indigenous People's Forum on Climate Change as their representatives. So when the, when the nominations were, were, were opened, opened up for, the, for these uh, roles, um, they went through the focal points and through the, the Indigenous People's Forum on Climate Change, and we facilitated that, that nomination process. Right now, it, it's, it's um, the facilitated work group members, they are the representatives and we guide them as well as the regions guide them into what they should do and, and advise them on, um, on policies that need, need to be undertaken when it comes to uh, the platform and uh, climate action. Terrific, thank you so much. That's really helpful um, to, to link it in this way. Great, so I think we've set the stage. Perhaps we can now go back to 2019 and we're getting ready for Chile or Madrid. And <laughs> so tell us about whether that, that threw, threw you in for a loop and, and how that affected you, if at all. Um, and then just tell us what happened at COP25, how, what expectations did you go in with and, and what were the outcomes? Sure. Um, so obviously everyone was expecting to go to Santiago de Chile for COP25 and we were all preparing to uh, for, for that COP. Um, also like in these people from Latin America, they were organizing themselves trying to make a, a very indigenous centered COP um, in, in Chile. So of course we all we have all seen that they, they changed it to Madrid. So we all had to last minute had to adjust and adapt, and which led eventually led eventually to um, unfortunately less participation of indigenous peoples than we initially uh, were aiming for. Um, so that was a huge challenge because now all of a sudden we have uh, less people that that were participating in in the in the, at the COP in Madrid. So once we arrived in Madrid. We had some issues that, that were a priority for these peoples. Uh, one was the adoption of the work plan of the work program for the local, local communities and these people's platform. And the second is the, um, the one remaining um, element of the Paris rulebook, or the, is, which is Article 6. So for, for us, uh, we, the first week was mostly. So we, we divided ourselves in two groups. One was to focus on the, the platform and the, uh, making sure that the work plan of this platform is adopted um, without any objections and without any comments or um, any changes. And a different, different group was focusing on Article 6, making sure that the human rights and the rights of Indigenous peoples are reflected in, in, in this article. Um, there are also a wide number of other uh, topics that were discussed at, at uh, COP25. For example, COP25 was uh, called the Blue COP, so that there was a, would be a specific focus on oceans. 
So we also had to try to focus also focus also a little bit about on making sure that Indigenous peoples and these peoples are are being included when you talk about oceans in terms of, of climate change. Where there's also the issue of the gender action plan, making sure that the rights of Indigenous peoples and human rights are reflected in this action plan, and in terms of loss and damage as well. So there were a couple of streams that uh, were um, on the agenda at COP25, but the most important ones that we all focused on were the, the, the work, plan, uh, work plan of the local communities and these people's platform, as well as Article 6. So just to zoom in a little bit on, uh, on that, is that um, Article 6 is the only remaining uh, mechanism of article of the Paris rule book that is, has not been decided upon. So just, just to explain you a little bit, the Paris Agreement tells you what to do to fight climate change. The rule book is, is, is uh, trying to explain how you should achieve the Paris Agreement. So they've been negotiating for a couple of years now um, and it's supposed to be finished uh, last year in 2018 but there's one element, which is Article 6, that has been, been so many disagreements on that they had to postpone the adoption of it uh, to COP25, which is this year. So Article 6 is on enabling states to cooperate in implementing the NDCs towards reducing emissions, uh, amongst others between, so, um, through transferring emission reductions um, between countries and uh, counting up towards uh, achieving NDCs. So there's a, mar uh, a market mechanism that they are trying to uh, establish. This is a problem for Indigenous peoples. Uh, we, we have seen the effects of red, of red and red plus. We have seen uh, the, the Kyoto Protocol. And what we want right now is that for when it comes to these uh, international cooperation of NDCs, that the rights of Indigenous peoples and human rights are respected in, in this context. So, and throughout the application of this article. So that was something that we had to focus on, making sure that, that our language, so that we made proposals to, uh, to be included in the text. There was absolutely no mention of human rights of rights of Indigenous peoples in the text uh, when we came to, uh, to Paris, oh, sorry, when we came to Madrid, um, there were states that were very supportive and vocal, um, but at every iteration, also when, when drafts were made, human rights and rights and peoples were not reflected. So we, we, we had to continue fighting to of lobby states to include the, 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 la the language that we wanted to have in there. So that, those two weeks, these last two weeks were very intense for us. Um, meeting states, uh, having bilaterals, uh, and some meetings and some days went well into the night uh, because states could not agree on, on proper language when it comes to these, uh, when it comes to Article 6. And that eventually led to um, the COP25 going to overtime into being the longest COP ever so because they went two days into overtime because Article 6, they could not agree, come to an agreement up until the point that they had to just realize that we cannot come to an agreement. So we had to push 
or postpone the conclusion of the negotiations to COP26, which is likely to be held, to be held in Great Britain. Um, which is, in retrospect, uh, a better outcome because a no, no outcome or no agreement is better to have one with bad guidelines, with bad rules. So for us, it is, uh, we live to fight another year because the ramifications of not having these people's rights and not having human rights in this, in this text are devastating for these peoples. Um, so that, that is why we've been, most of the reason why we've, we've been going all in, when, particularly in the second week of COP25, in making sure that human rights and rights peoples um, were reflected in the text. They're not reflected right now, but we can still fight another year to have it, have it in the text. So that is mostly about what, at least what I've been focusing on, because that was one of the big, biggest priorities of Indian peoples um, in, uh, at uh, COP25 in, in, uh, in Madrid. Incredible. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you summarizing so well and giving us also incredible sound bites. You're quite good at that. Um, so, so Paris Rule Book Article 6, we live to fight another year. It's going to be discussed again at COP26. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the work plan and the local, the, the local communities and indigenous people's platform? I heard that it was adopted. Congratulations on that. It, it's, a, it's a huge achievement, but maybe say a little bit about the work plan and what's going to, what it's going to let you do in the next two years. And then do you have an update of whether any achievements were made um, on the gender action plan and loss and damage discussions as well? Yes, the work plan was adopted at uh, COP25, luckily, so now we can actually start moving. So the work plan is for the next two years. Um, there are quite a range of activities that um, the specific working group has um, came up with, um, making sure that the, it's, so the, the, the platform has three functions. One is, is to, for capacity building, um, uh, for Indian peoples and states or states amongst ourselves to learn about um, the rights of Indian peoples and learn about Indian knowledge. So when it comes to that, one of the activities is also on the international level. So you have activities for the, for the, for the platform, which uh, in the work plan are on the local level, on the regional level, and on the international level. Local level is mostly to enhance the capacities of uh, of understanding how the UNFCCC works and how to communicate uh, between the local level and the international level. As the international level is mostly on enhancing the participation of Afghan Indian peoples um, within all climate action and also uh, enhancing the knowledge of parties and states on how to handle and how, how, to, how to work with Indian peoples and how to um, respect the rights of these peoples when it comes to climate action and once it, when it comes to climate change. So those are, and then on region level has, 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 uh, has the same priorities as well. Uh, the good thing is, is that um, there's a balance between all activi activities. So it's not that the most activities are on local level or on the international level, but there's, that's a, there's a balance. Uh, there, there, equally divided. One of the key strengths of the platform 
is that it has the ability to collaborate with uh, bodies both under the UNFCCC as well as outside of the UNFCCC. Which means that this, this platform, which uh, is not also not right now in the, in the work plan, that it can not, is not limited to the UNFCCC, but it can also interact with, for example, the print form on any issues. For example, the UNDP. For example, the Action Mechanism of Rights in these Peoples. It has the, it's, it can become a hub of knowledge and towards coming with some hybrid solution to fight climate change that is that has provides equity and as well as equality between the policies of Indigenous peoples and policies of the United Nations and the knowledge of Indigenous peoples as well as science and in that particular hub it can something new can come out that can contribute to to climate action so the next two years will be filled with, with activities. Um, it's uh, luckily, not, not luckily, but um, we are very glad that this platform, this work plan is adopted and that we now actually go into activities um, that contribute to, to find climate change. And then we'll come, we'll come a review year in the third year, and then we'll see if um, hopefully have a new work plan for the next uh, two to three years. Um, in the general action plan, and there are just some references to um, Indigenous peoples and uh, rights Indigenous peoples and, and human rights. So that, which is which is good. Um, there's general action plan has been there's been some um, negotiations going back and forth the last couple of years, which is now finalized. So that so that is good, and we're very um, grateful for the the Indigenous women that have been participating in the general action plan. That, that have been able to secure the rights of Indigenous peoples in the plan as well. Uh, loss and damage is one of is that a is a theme, it's a topic that's still under discussion. Um, as Indigenous peoples, we are trying to uh, participate in the in that particular process, but it is very difficult for Indigenous peoples because we're so spread thin um, to also focus on uh, on loss and damage. Uh, one good thing I've come out of COP25 is also that uh, there's a reference to Indigenous peoples and uh, rights of Indigenous peoples in the, the preamble of the decision. So there's one CP25. So that is um, something that we can also build upon and hopefully that we can, uh, hope in COP26, we can have not only the preamble, but also in the operative, a reference to Indigenous peoples and rights Indigenous peoples in decision one CP25. Also a very good thing that, that was included in the decision text was the IPCC um, report, special reports. Um, there was a lot of debate at COP24 in Katowice on whether or not to include the special report on, on lands in, uh, in, the, in the final final text of uh, Substa of uh, IUN Um Eventually, it was a mere taking note of, uh, but right now, the, with the special report on, on oceans and the cryosphere, it has been included and that's, uh, the states agreed that they will have a discussion um, in May, or sorry, in June in Bonn on how, on a dialogue on trying to uh, in, include oceans as well in climate action and NDCs, 
Why is the IPCC report so important? Because it also reflects the rights of indigenous peoples and it also mentions indigenous peoples. For example, IPCC report, special report on oceans and, and cryosphere, it made particular reference to indigenous peoples of the Arctic, of the, uh, to the indigenous peoples, uh, to the Inuit indigenous peoples. And the special reports on lands, it made particular reference to rights of indigenous peoples. Um, so it was, those are also milestones and achievements for these peoples um, when it comes to, to climate change. So those are, in a broad stroke, uh, some of the outcomes of, of COP25 for these peoples. Wonderful. Well, congratulations on all the incredible achievements. It's, um, uh, you know, I've been following you and Janine and others on social media, and I've just seen the, the endless days, it seems like. Um, from from dawn to late night that you guys uh, have been working and uh, congratulations on, on the achievements and um, for the work coming ahead. I wanted to ask you the role, you mentioned states, you mentioned that there are some friendly states. Can you give us a little bit of an idea about allies and, and accomplices to indigenous peoples? Because, you know, I, we want to be that uh, for you here at, um, at UNDP and want to understand how to best support your work. But tell us something about friendly states and the role that has played in, in your advocacy on this level. Sure. Um, so the, the I, was, I would call them the classic friendly states uh, were Mexico, uh, Guatemala, uh, Canada, New Zealand, uh, Switzerland, and Norway, Finland, and with that EU as well, uh, Costa Rica, um, Chile. So there was, and Bolivia. Uh, was, so those were the states that were been very uh, supportive and throughout the, the, the negotiations on the platform, as well as uh, throughout the negotiations at COP25. So we had to build a, a, a group of states that would support rights, inclusion of rights and peoples and human rights in, for example, in Article 6. So we're building upon them and strengthening them. Uh, Tuvalu was also one of the, the strongholders when it comes to rights and peoples and human rights. And so what, what we're trying to do is making sure that there's a global uh, spread of supporting states so that is not just, for example, not just the global north, or that is not just the Western countries that uh, support uh, rights peoples and human rights. Um, so what we were doing was um, consolidating those states that I mentioned before and trying to um, add more states to it that have been supportive for Indian peoples and human rights Oh, sorry, Indian rights and uh, human rights, not only under UNFCCC, but also outside of the UNFCCC. Um, for example, in Gene Geneva or in New York, in the third committee or in the Human Rights Council. So we reminded them of the, uh, of the support that, have, that I have shown previously and that they should also support it at, under UNFCCC because there's no difference. For us, for Indian peoples, we even... Um, it's quite a uh, The irony is is that most states, uh, and I'm excluding the state that I just mentioned before, is that they already had human rights obligations prior to the Paris Agreement. Um, they, most states, uh, 190 something, they already ascended to at least two UN 
uh, treaty or covenants um, on human rights. And it is, was our duty, it was actually one of, uh, one of our objectives is to remind them of that, saying, well, hey, um, you already had these obligations. So it is, it should, this should be a no-brainer to have human rights and Russian peoples included in the, in the, in the text. Um, there were some states that were not as uh, appreciative of that, that, that um, uh, for, for example, they, the human rights and Indian people's rights language was blocked, what we know so far, by uh, um, at least three countries, well, three countries, so what we know is that, well, these are the three countries that blocked it, that didn't want it in. So let's start um, trying to create a more broader and a global coalition of states that want it in there, that when it comes to COP26, that uh, we have more support and that the COP presidency can see, can, um, has enough confidence seeing that there's global support, that human rights and rights people should be in there despite the observations of, of states, of the three states that, that blocked it. Um, so definitely a big, a big appreciation goes to the, those states that were supportive of us in, in the, yeah, in the negotiations. It was, um, it was hectic, uh, but it was um, very encouraging as well to see that they, they held, they held the back straights um, throughout the two, the two weeks and, and maintaining the position on human rights and the rights of peoples. Thank you so much. Um, uh, just a few more questions here together, Ghazali. Thank you so much for, for just uh, staying on point so eloquently. <laughs> no surprise there, of course. Um, as you know, Akim Steiner, the UNDP administrator, committed UNDP to the climate promise, whereby UNDP will work with 100 countries to help enhance their nationally determined contributions, NDCs. Our team has prepared guidance on the enhancement of NDCs through nature-based solutions. And we're also preparing similar guidance on indigenous peoples and local communities. This is something that, as you know, we'll be working on together. But could you say a few words about indigenous people's key priorities in this area at this point? Sure. Um, one, one of the priorities is when it comes to NDCs that the NDCs should, should add up to staying below 1.5. Um, and that NDCs should add up to, as well to securing the rights of these peoples. What we've seen so far is that when it comes to the NDCs is that um, states are not building upon what's been proven. So for example, that the indigenous um, ways are, and our knowledge and our practices have been proven that to be um, effective when it comes to climate change. And NDCs right now, what, the way they are, they are um, 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 drafted is that they're not building upon it, but they are just trying to negate that. And so one of our priorities is that um, respect our rights in the NDCs. Um, so you create a resilient uh, community, you create resilient peoples. And with that, you, go, you create uh, resilient uh, ecosystems. So that is something that we've been trying to um, get into the minds of, of states uh, when it comes to, to the NDCs. Because um, we've been trying to um, set up guidelines and try to making sure that they integrate human rights uh, in, in, in these NDCs and mostly through 
uh, have, yeah, doing workshops, it would be good to get these people to understand the, 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 the need for having uh, yeah, human rights and human rights and people's as, as also a form as a measurement uh, uh, when it comes to the NDCs. Sounds like the NDC should add up to staying under 1.5 degrees, securing the, the rights of indigenous peoples to create resilient people and ecosystems, including indigenous people's traditional knowledge. In general, there's a sense that the NDCs don't build on, on progress already achieved or agreements and commitments made. Um, and you also had the idea of, of actually doing workshops on having countries understand the importance of indigenous people's rights and how to include them in the NDCs, which is a really great idea. Yeah, because uh, what, what, we, what we have seen is that mostly the NDCs are prepared by consultants and not by governments. So it is um, one of our things that we, that, we, that we should be doing is to educate the governments to um, so that they can educate the consultants in, in terms of like how to draft the indices and because like I said, states have um, some states have these people's rights in the constitution just they shouldn't have, shouldn't have any problems and uh, most of the states all already had obligations on human rights um, so not and those are not limited to the Paris Agreement so when it comes to the NDCs, it is very important that they start having, um, starting to include human rights and starting to include rights in these peoples in the, in the NDCs. Um, it is quite, the irony is that, um, for example, the Declaration of Rights in these Peoples was uh, adopted, well, as you know, with an overwhelming majority, I think it was 144 in favor, 11 abstain and, and four against. And now, when you look at um, the uh, the NDCs, uh, one, since the agreement or prior to the agreement, 194 provided NDCs, and only 27 of them, 27 uh, NDCs made references to Indian peoples. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work, to, a lot of things that we have to still have to work on uh, to making sure that uh, Indian peoples wherever they are situated are included in the NDCs and are uh, supported in the, in the NDCs and that the rights and, uh, of Indian peoples and human rights are respected uh, when it comes to the national action plans for um, to fight climate change. Incredible, thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Um, we're, we look forward to, to being, to working together with you on making sure that many more countries include a reference, a significant reference to indigenous peoples in their NDCs um, as everyone prepares to submit those for COP26. Um, just two more questions for you, Ghazali. Next one is, what are your plans moving forward in terms of the indigenous peoples um, advocacy around climate change and the UNFCCC? Some concrete next steps. Concrete next steps is, um, well, for example, I well, I am the the leader of for Indian peoples on Article Six, so COP twenty six will be another um, ground zero for us. So leading up to COP twenty six, um, there will be intercessional in June in, in Bonn. So what we're what we'll have to do and what we're trying to do is to start talking to capitals, start talking to um, delegations uh, on 
uh, making them uh, more receptive to human rights and rights peoples in, in the text. Right now, what we've been, what we've been, what states have been able to do is like kick, kick the can further down the road, and which keeps human rights and rights peoples alive for one more year. So right now, for at least for me and the team as well, the team that, I, that I'm working with as well is trying to make sure that the states that were in favor to consolidate them, strengthen them, and still build um, on that emerging support for, for the uh, human rights generation people. So, so that only, not only happens in whenever we're in uh, COPS or in um, bond, but also, when we're, for example, when we're at the permanent forum or at the expert mechanism or any other meeting um, that's, that has, is on the intersection of climate change and uh, rights. Um, for example, the BBNJ treaty, like it's, it's also uh, on oceans, is also a very important um, platform for us to start talking to states. Well, hey, um, Article Six is coming up, and this is what we need you to do. So there's, um, if it will, we will be naive to um, sit down, relax a little bit, and wait until September next year to start preparing for COP26. I think um, we've seen how how close we came to um, the worst possible outcome for COP25, and which uh, is another one, a reason for me, for me and the team as well, and the caucus in general, to start working January 1st. Let, let's start working towards creating that momentum for uh, COP26. And that's just on Article 6. We're also starting to also starting to implement the work work program of the platform. We're also started working on loss and damage, agriculture, um, the global stock take is coming up, um, and NDCs like we said, mentioned before, those are coming up as well. So it is, um, if anything, it will only intensify our efforts and our work. And and yeah, it's. I'm, I'm not sure if we will have any any free time anytime soon, but then again, it's not just for us. It's for not for tomorrow, but for the next seven generations. What we're doing. Fantastic! What a what a great way to wrap up. Um, before we go, however, I wanted to um, ask you to tell us a little bit about your own podcast, so we know oh. where to find you in the virtu virtual space. Um, sure. So. My struggle has been always is that what Indian peoples have been doing. Um, I've been doing this for, I don't know, like 17, 18 years. And people don't know what we're doing. They think that these peoples go to the UN or uh, have a meeting with UNDP. And it's this one big vacation holiday for us. Whereas it's so much more than that. Um, there's so much thinking, talking, uh, discussions, meetings, and everything else. And I wanted to, to open up, open that up. Um, so the podcast is, I'm, I'm documenting my work. Um, so it's not creating something, but it's documenting uh, my conversations, thoughts and everything. And also the conversations that I have with indigenous leaders around the world that I'm meeting and I'm sitting down with and just uh, having an exchange of thoughts, their failures, their aha moments, their, um, their accomplishments, their also, they're, they're how they balance work life, the or movement life, um, a lot of things. So that people outside that are not in the movement or want to get into the movement or are interested in what these people do, that they know have a 
clear view of what's going on and not have that view that we travel so much because we like it, uh, because we love the traveling, we love the air miles. No, because it's the work that we do and it's the passion that we have. And it's the it's all making the, these subtle but significant progress that we're trying to make within the United Nations. And for that, um, we need to be consistent in our work. And that's what I'm trying to document. So it's the, the Go Maluku podcast that I'm uh, hosting. Um, and it's uh, available on um, iTunes and well, mo mo most major uh, podcast um, platforms. Terrific, wonderful. We look for. I look forward to hearing it. That's incredibly important work. Um, well, Ghazali, thank you so much for sharing your experience and knowledge. It was absolutely illuminating. Thank you for taking the time. No, no, thank you. For our listeners, thank you for being with us, and we hope you will join us for the next episode of the Nature for Development podcast. Till next time. <laughs>